the study today. We're going through the book of Genesis and we're in chapter 30. So if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to Genesis 30. Before we get into it, a couple of things going on. Of course, I always like to, um, as I look at the news, I like to find the Bible in it. And of course, as we uh, have been looking at uh, the hostilities in the Middle East as they continue to to uh, escalate, you find um, interesting that five years ago, Wednesday, the previous administration with the Iran nukes arm deal gave to uh, Iran $200, billion, $200 million in gold and allowed them to be their own weapons inspectors. Of course, our current president said that was the worst deal in history and reversed it. But unfortunately, it didn't get reversed soon enough. This week, um, Fox News announced that uh, Iran will most likely have their atomic weapon by the end of the year. Where does that leave us? Well, Jesus said, Luke 21, he said the generation that sees Jerusalem come back under Jewish control, as he goes on in that chapter says, will be the last generation. I believe, friends, that we are on the very edge of an entire change in the world. Now, the Bible tells us that there's an individual that's going to come on the world scene called the Antichrist. Now, he's going to be called the Savior of the world outside of the Christian world, but for those who study their Bibles, you know who he is. And with that, he comes with a false prophet, the 666 on the hand or on the forehead, all these things. And the point is is simply this, that I believe that we are very, very close to uh, leaving this world. I'm I tell everybody all the time on the radio, look for the upper taker. He's coming for us real soon. Now, why is that important? To let your light shine. Now, a lot of times we feel I'm not good enough to serve God. And I know the devil loves to beat people up with that. It's called condemnation. And true, oftentimes, friends, we have not batted 100% for our king like we know we should. And when we don't, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us. Says, you can do better. Let me help you. I'll step in. I'll hold your hand. I'll get you through this. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the paracletus or one who walks alongside of you through this life. The condemnation is different. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the devil. And that basically says, you're no good, you've never been good, you'll never be any better than you are now, so you ought to just give up right now. Well, some good news is we're going through the book of Genesis. And in this book, we find that God used people, just like you and me, to accomplish his will when there was a willingness to serve him. That's all really God looks for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And again, not in a legal relationship. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. God wants us to have a father-child relationship with him. I can't stress this enough because religion always tries to supplant a love relationship with a legal relationship. Now you say, what do you mean by a legal relationship? 
the Ten Commandments, getting back under the law. And you'll find people who will specify, well, what day you worship, or do you eat pork, or some other thing that somehow makes our relationship with God legal rather than love. Jesus appeased the Father fully when he died on the cross for you and me, and his blood covered our sins. So that's the first thing that we have. But now that our sins are forgiven, no longer legal, but a love relationship, as Paul says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Why is that important? Because that's the relationship God wants to have with us. And that's what religion does not offer you. Religion always offers rules and regulations rather than you saying, Daddy. What a big difference. And you see, this is one of the great things that we have in our Father. But oftentimes, friends, we don't feel good enough to be a child of God. In fact, I've talked to many people in my life as I've witnessed to so many people. And I I said, you want to receive Christ as your Savior? And they go, well, no. And I go, why? I'm afraid I will fail. Well, I got some good news for you. When we do, God forgives us. John writes in his book, first epistle of John. My little children, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. We have an attorney. We have a lawyer that pleads our case. Now you say, well, why is that important to know these things? Well, we have God's word. And it's a matter of fact, the book of Jude says, these things were written for our examples. In other words, we can learn from people in the Old Testament as well in the New. And when we get to chapter 30, we begin to really look more about the 12 patriarchs of Israel. We hear a lot about them. Oftentimes we remember that uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees would come to Jesus and say, well, Moses taught us or Abraham, our father said, and they would imply that Jesus in some way was inferior. But as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we found that Abraham was far from a perfect man. He had a repetition, a habit of lying concerning his relationship with his wife. And he said to her, whenever we're around anybody, you're such a gorgeous babe that the first time somebody's going to look at you, they're going to want to kill me and marry you. So you tell everybody you're my brother. And she said, right on. And so they did this. And we remember That as this went on, one time one of them said, what is this you've done to us? You've lied to us. And he said, no, no, we lie to everybody. Kind of weird. But see, this was Abraham, the one that God chose to bring forth through the lineage, Jesus Christ, that would be the Savior of the world. Now, we often hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, don't we? The three basic foundational patriarchs. Today, as we look at this, This is almost a very difficult passage to teach in the Bible because it goes so contrary to our our idea of ethic, what we have in our minds of the kind of person God will use. Now, you say, what's that about? Well, we remember Jacob loved Rachel and said to Laman, his uncle, I will work for you seven years for her. Wow, that was a great dowry. And a dowry was kind of like a 
modern day alimony paid in advance, okay? So in case something goes wrong here, I have given you something for your daughter's hand. I'll give you seven years of labor for your daughter, for my daughter's hand. Now, why didn't uh, Jacob have anything? Well, he had just got done lying to his father that he was Esau, put some hairy skin on and cooked up some jerky and said, here, pops, give me a blessing, blesses him, only to find out that it was really Jacob dressed up in Esau's clothes. Esau was angry. Now, by the way, he had already traded his birthright away for a mess of potage. So really, Esau didn't own it. But the thing is, Esau was angry. You ever had uh, buyer's remorse? (laughs) Esau had that. And so he was mad at Jacob for stealing his birthright. But he had already traded it away. And so his mother, knowing what was going to happen, she quickly got him and said, you need to leave, your brother's going to kill you. And so anyway, he leaves. He doesn't leave with anything. He doesn't leave with, uh, even though he had the birthright, technically speaking, he would have got all the stuff uh, that Isaac had, but he just got out with his life. And he travels to his mom's brother's house and gets there, and we remember that he uh, sees Leah, uh, uh, Rachel, and and he falls in love with her. And he says, I'll work for you for seven years for this girl. The wedding night comes. Oh, it's a great night. The people come. They're all having a great party. It's dark. Candles weren't real good. You know, the Energizer battery gave up a long time ago. And and so it was dark. The wedding ceremony happens. He takes her into the tent. And when he wakes up in the morning, it's not Rachel. It's the ugly duckling sister called Leah. He was spazzed out. He goes to Laban and says, Laban, what is this you've done? I worked seven years for Rachel, not Leah, and you give me her instead? And Laban says, well, it is our custom. The older daughter must be married first. So what's the deal? He goes, well, I'll tell you what, you fulfill her week, and then I'll float you, uh, I'll float you, um, Rachel for another seven years. All this time. He's got years wrapped up in this now. So he's got Leah, who he didn't want. He has Rachel, who he does want. And this is where the story unfolds this morning. Can it get any crazier than this? <laughs> but of course. This is almost, you know, I I, got to tell you, I've talked to a few people this past week in reading what we're going to read today. And I'll do my very best to make it as Christian palatable as I can. But this is some X-rated stuff. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody. It's in the Word of God. I'm committed to teaching you all of God's Word. But this gets really crazy. Let's read. Verse 31, let's go back to verse 31 of of Genesis 29, just as a little review, and then we'll get into this. And the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And this is again, because really, Jacob didn't want her. He worked for Rachel, not Leah. And so when he saw that she was unloved, 
He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. It's a very tragic thing. Again, this idea of conditional love. He'll love me because I had him kids. Or he'll love me because. And unfortunately, and if you're not a Christian here today, probably all you've ever experienced in your life is conditional love. I love you if. God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, no conditions. I love you, period. And I love that about God. So she says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, still in love, by the way, kid number two, He has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon, which means literally hearing uh, because she was praying. She conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I bore him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi or attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, I will sing praise to the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and she stopped bearing. Now, this is interesting, because Jesus is from the lion of the tribe of what? Judah, okay? So, a couple things real fast here. One, God looks at things a lot differently than we do. Leah saw herself as unloved, but she didn't see that she was loved by God. And it was through her child, not Rachel's, um, that, that the Savior came. Really important to understand that. And his name means praise. She stopped bearing at least for a little while. She'll, she'll start back up again here as we move into some new ground. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Now, notice Jacob's response to this. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? Wow. Now, you can begin to see. Now, I, I, I know a lot of times we see there's TV programs about the wonderful idea of uh, polygamy. Here you're beginning to see a taste of what it really is. Rivalry within the home. In fact, it doesn't get better as we read on here. It becomes much intensified because of the sibling rivalries between the two women and what happens and their way of fixing the problem. Now, I've always found if I'm trying to fix a problem I find I can really mess it up. I find that if I bring that problem to God and let him work it out divinely, God has a much better way of fixing things than I do. Now we remember this was a problem with Abraham as well. Of you I'm going to make a great nation, God said. But his wife Sarah didn't have any children. And she was way, way past the age of having kids. And by the way, in those days, without kids, 
You had no lineage. And it wasn't how big your bank account was. It wasn't really how many cattle you had. It was how big your family was. That's what gave an individual, a father, a man, and a woman value was their family. And so understanding that, his wife says, Sarah, take my handmaiden and have kids with her. Abraham didn't object. Okay. So along comes Ishmael. And then Sarah conceives, just as the Bible said she would, and the two didn't get along together. Isaac was chiding with with um, uh, Isaac was chiding with uh, with Esau, and they, they were fighting. And so finally, Sarah said, "Enough!" And he said, "She said, put her out of the house. Her and her son." Actually, many people believe that really when Abraham. And this is what he gave her. The Bible says that he married her, okay, uh, Hagar. As he sends her away, this is the lowest alimony that was ever paid, recorded, I think, in history. He gives her a bottle of water and a loaf of bread and says goodbye. Abraham does this. Gives his wife's handmaiden who bore him a son. And by the way, the Bible says it displeased Abraham exceedingly that he had to send her away. But literally sent her away into the wilderness. A a single woman with a child, probably around 12 years old, into the wilderness with a bottle of water and a loaf of bread. See ya. Now I doubt seriously if any of you have been that heartless. Here's the point. God still used him. That's one of the things you're going to find as you study the Bible. You're going to find that God does impossible things with impossible people. Well, that's good news. So he sends her away. Now, she would have died. In fact, the Bible says she laid her son, Isaac, uh, or excuse me, Ishmael, under a bush, and she went a distance because she didn't want to hear him wail and cry as he was dying. At that point, God sent angels to minister to her, found her water, and, and Ishmael went on and became a, the nation of the Arabs, is who he became. And by the way, I, I really believe that if the Arabs and the Jews would ever come to that common understanding that they have the same basic father, Abraham, I think they'd get along a lot better. Well, one of the things here you'll find, Rachel's got the same problem. She can't have kids. So notice what happens here. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear me a child on my knees so I may have children by her. I don't want to get into a lot of details of what on my knees means. But basically... I don't even know how you say this. He was hugging her while he was busy doing something else. Okay? On my knees. Okay. I think that went through. That I may have children by her. This would in some way give legitimacy to the child, by the way. And so that's why this is. And so... She gave him Billah, her, her maid, 
as wife, and Jacob went into her. Um, You can see that Jacob is going to be a very, very busy fellow in this chapter. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he's also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, or literally, which means judge. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Hold it right here. Does anybody notice something weird here? This verse 7, I would say, oh, I, I get it. Okay. Rachel can't have kids. She feels bad about that. She's real directed by her husband. So here, take her, have a kid with her while I'm on my, and all that weird stuff. And Rachel said, with great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister. Indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, or literally, my wrestling. Now, it's interesting. Notice it says, great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister. Imagine that home was not a real happy home. I imagine that there was a lot of strife between not only them, but all the things going on now, as these little kids are all running around. Now, the, the understanding of it here as we read and as we get down here, um, by the time that, that uh, Jacob decides to move away from Laban's household and says, okay, listen, it, it's, you know, I'm getting pretty big here, i got to go. Um, he had 11 kids, at least 11 boys, and we know of at least one girl. We're going to get into that. And so... Very, very much uh, a, um, well, it takes Brady Bunch to a whole new level. But um, it says, then Leah saw that she had stopped bearing. She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave it to her, to gave her to Jacob as wife. Now he's got four wives, okay? Boy, this is all the makings of a TV series, isn't it? So anyway, he says, and Leah's maid, Zephah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes, I guess so. So she named his name Gad, is what his name means. And Leah made Zippor bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy for the daughters who will calmly bless. So she called his name Happy or Asher. And Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Now you say, what's a mandrake? Well, many people from what we gather studying the Hebrew is they were called love apples. You say, what's that? Some kind of an aphrodisiac? Not exactly sure all of what it does, but that's what they were. And one of the boys was out in the field and he found some of these. And notice it says... Reuben, probably, I don't know, somewhere around probably 10, 11 years old, went in the field and found them and brought them to his mother, Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of those for your, of your son's mandrakes. Now, now again, friends, I, I look at this, and we, we don't have love apples today. There's pills and all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I look at this, 
and this is to me a very unusual place in the Bible. But you can see that when people are desperate, they do desperate things. And one of the things that I'd like to encourage you today, that if you find something in your life where you are desperate for something, whether it's to gain the affection of your spouse, whether it's to, to um, whatever it might be, there's a lot of things, whether it's a, a desire for a particular thing in your life, One of the things I can tell you is God does hear our prayers and God does work them out. I think there's always a danger, though, when we inject ourselves in so much of the things that sometimes take us contrary to what God would have for us. Now, you say, what does that mean? When you find yourself doing something that the Bible prohibits, you're coloring outside of the lines and you've taken matters into your own hands. If you don't have enough money, the, the solution is not stealing. The solution is praying and saying, God, I don't have enough money to make ends meet. I'm going to trust you to do something. And you're saying, God, so I'm just going to trust you and I'm going to see what you're going to do. And we have in our minds tomorrow, the boss is going to call me in and set me down in the chair and say, you know, I've been reviewing the forms and the files. And you know what? I'm going to give you a $25 an hour raise. And we're going, thank you, Jesus. And so we pray. We go to work. The boss calls us in. We're going, yeah. And we sit down and he says, I've been reviewing your files. Yes, you have. You're fired. Huh? What is, God, don't you love me anymore? No. It's that God has a new job for you. Had a new job all along for you. You weren't looking for it. Now you are. And that's the way a lot of times God works. God works through the circumstances that surround our life. But there's always a temptation from us to take matters in our own hands and go outside of what the Word of God says to solve the problem. Isn't that the case? Well, God, you know, I'm lonely. I, I, I want a husband or I want a wife. And, I, and I, you know, it's Friday night and everybody's out partying and drinking in the bars. You know, I just got a temptation to go out there and see what's out there. And you're coloring outside the lines. What fellowship does light have with darkness? And so we find ourselves doing things that we would normally never do, trying to fix the problem ourselves. Well, comes to these little love apples, Okay. Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah said to her, Is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes as well also? And Rachel said, Therefore, he will lie with you tonight because of your son's love apples. Friends, again, this is kind of hard to read a little bit. But what, what's going on here is they're bargaining back and forth who gets them. Now, I imagine Jacob's head had swollen where he drug his ears on the doorpost when he'd walk through. She wants me. No, she wants me. No, they all want me. Yeah. Well, this is a little bit what's going on here. You see, they begin to bargain one to another. Who gets him tonight? No, you get him tonight. You, you got the love apples. I get him tonight. All of this is going on. 
And you look at this and realize that, you know, here's something important to realize as well. Jacob never beckoned for any of this, okay? He loved a girl named Rachel. He made a deal with Laban. I'll work for her for seven years. You give me her. Deal. And then he was double-crossed. He ends up now with all of this going on. Now four women in his life gave to her him as his wife. Some people say, well, not really married, but along the lines of a concubine or something along these lines. I don't know. All I can tell you is I do know this. Life throws things at us that we oftentimes are little prepared for. Amen? You know, you're, you're, you're all, everything's going well, and then we get a, a bad prognosis from a doctor, or something else happens, and, and we go, why did this happen to me? I think we can all sit back and say, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? But know this, you got a God bigger than the things that have been dealt to you in this life. And I know sometimes we've had heavier dealings than others. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That simply means that God's going to give you a wonderful opportunity to see his power in your life. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about some God divinely resurrecting people's uh, uh, kids from the grave and others being tortured to death. I don't always know what causes this hand to be dealt with us the way it is. But I think a lot of times when we begin to see this, we think, well, God, you don't love me because you allowed such a bad hand to be dealt to me, whatever it might be. Jacob simply wanted a simple life. He saw, again, Isaac, his father, his mom. I think that's what he wanted. But instead now he ends up with four women in his life, all bearing kids. But what is what's amazing to me, this is the 12 patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And they're made up not of solely just simply Jewish people, but we have handmaidens involved here. We have uh, 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 things that happen far out of the control of Jacob. And yet God still says, I'm here with you. Something this morning I'd like to encourage you to think about. Wherever you're at, what's ever going on in your life, God is in the midst of your life. If you're a Christian, you say, but Mike, I've not been living for Jesus like I should. Go back to the Bible. God, you're his child. He's still dealing in your life. First of all, to bring you back to his side if you're apart from the Father's side. If you are alongside your Father, to focus on him, not on the circumstances. You focus on the circumstances, friends, you will be overwhelmed. They just are. It's too much. And and if you're not a Christian here today, if you haven't lived long enough to realize that the circumstances in this life are bigger than you are, you will. I believe completely this is why people drink and get stoned. You see, it isn't getting stoned is the problem. It isn't getting drunk is the problem. It's why you're getting drunk. 
Because people say, well, I got to loosen up a little bit. I got to, I, I got to, you know, uh, relax a little bit. Why? Because you're overwhelmed with the stuff going on in your life. That's why I have to take the edge off. Well, it's beer 30 at 10 in the morning. What was the old song that Johnny Cash sang? The beer I had for breakfast wasn't, wasn't bad, so I had another for dessert. Well, the thing when you stop to think about that, why do we do what we do? We're excellent in the church and in our society of treating symptoms. We're terrible at treating problems. So what God does is because he loves us, he goes directly to you and me for what we need and how we need it. Now, as we continue to read on here, you're going to see that um, verse 16, Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me tonight, for I surely hired you with my son's mandrakes, and lay, and he laid with her that night. Uh, I've been hitting the love apples, baby. Come on over. I mean, this is in the Bible. By the way, I, I don't think, uh, I, I think it's good to verbalize a lot of times what we feel, especially to those close that we love. And certainly Leah did this to, to, um, Jacob. And so God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So she starts having kids again. And Leah said, God has given me my hire because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Iskar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me With good endowment, now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And so she called his name Zebulun, which means literally dwelling. Now, again, you look at this and it says, Afterwards she bore a daughter and her name was Dana. And the Lord and God remembered Rachel, the God of, and listened to her. And opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And uh, God has taken away my reproach, reproach. So she called his name Joseph. And the Lord. And said. Which means the Lord shall add. To me another son. You look at this. And you just go my goodness. What in the world. What is all that. All I can tell you is this. God is bigger than the things. That life has dealt you. God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. Whatever the devil meant for your harm, God will turn it around and make it for your good. If there's something that's in your way that doesn't work right, all I can tell you is God has allowed it not to work right to show you something else. God had a bigger plan than just Jacob having one son. He has 12 sons, which became the patriarchs for the nation of Israel. And so as I look at this, I look at a couple things. God is good all the time. No matter what you're going through, no matter what it is you're up against, God will see you through. Now, I know a lot of times we don't think we're going to make it. And we feel that we look, when we look at the problem, we go, God, God, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. This is going to hurt. And then we find when we get to it, it's not there. 
God has a way of fixing what is wrong in our life. God has a a way of fixing what's wrong in your life today. And all I can tell you is trusting him. But God, you don't understand. I was really counting on that selling. It happened to us one time. We had a piece of property over on the corner of Elizabeth and and, uh, Morningside. We had five acres. And tried to sell it. And I tried to sell it. And I tried to sell it. We found this property out here. And we just couldn't sell it. And the realtor called me up. And she said, she said, um, you're going to really have to lower the price on that. So I went and prayed. And I, I was bummed because I thought God was going to sell it. We'd have the extra money to start building this and everything. And, and so I, I, I just prayed. And, and I felt a weird unction. And I called the realtor back. And I said, uh, uh, she says, are you going to lower the price? And I said, no, I'm going to double the price. She laughed at me. And I said, no, I, I'm serious. I really, I really want to double the price from, from seventy five to 150000 And she laughed. She said, okay. It was about two months later. It sold for one forty five. The point is this. If God stops us, thank God for that stop. I love it when God says yes and I pray. I'm happy. Oh, yes. Yay, God. But when God says, no, I feel in some way I've been slighted by God. God, you don't love me anymore. What's wrong here? That I have a tendency then to try to take matters in my own hands and color outside the lines. And God goes, no, I'm going to bless you, but you, you're on the wrong road here. I'm going to fix this. Friends, that's the way God works. You got a good God that loves you. Positive confession has nothing to do with it. God's divine providence in your life has everything. If you're his child today, his hand is upon you. 